I want to tell you this, you know, we've, um, I've been invited again in February. I'll be going to the United States again and preaching a conference there. Um, and the topic of the conference is how are we going to get basically the people to see the fruit of grace manifesting in their lives. And, and I mean, these are people from grace churches and out of this comes this question, you know, because they, and, and what he also writes in the letter when, because we need to prepare concerning a certain topic, is when we preach grace, and it's now for five or seven years, we find that people are not bearing fruit. <laughs> you know, they, be, they become lazy, they don't want to do anything, they, um, you know, they, when it comes to, the church things or spreading the gospel, the, 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 the focus is actually evangelism and, and sharing the gospel with others, is there's just nothing. Just nothing, no fruit. And how are we going to basically minister in such a way that we can see the effect of the gospel? Now I want to tell you this, our gospel that we believe is an empowerment unto, you know, when we were under the law, we yielded our members unto the law. And through that law, and through the sin that's in us, using the law, we found our lives carrying sin in it. When we are saved from the law system, we are saved from the law, not to be naked, but to be clothed with the very character and nature of God. I want to tell you, for me, it would be such an empty life to know, well, you know, um, I struggle with fear, and I struggle with judgment, and I struggle with this and that and whatever, and God's not angry with me, but He's not going to be angry, but I'm going to struggle for the rest of my life. No, no. Thank God that when I feel those things, I know my righteousness is not removed. I don't, I'm not seen as a sinner before God. I'm not judged by God. I'm the apple of His eye. He cares for me. He loves me. All those things. Amen. Thank God. And that gives my heart enough room and it allows me to go to Him in that time and then I am clothed with the very nature of God. So that I can find God living in me. Amen. Having power in this life. And, and, and I want to say this, you know, we are saved from something unto something. We're not just saved from something unto nothing. We are saved from something unto the very nature of God, which we try to attain unto under the law, which we could never attain unto. Amen, man. Don't go and try and fake the fruit of the Spirit. If it's not the fruit of the Spirit, it is not the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit mean, it means it's a result of being under grace. So, if you don't see the result of being under grace in your life, but you still see the results of being under the law in your life, you might still just be under the law. Thinking you under grace. Come on. Because this gospel is powerful, man. It gives us a new life. You know, I was sitting chatting to Andres and, and it, I said, when I look at what it's produced in my life, it produced things in my life that I could never attain unto by my own works. You know, I, as a person... Um, free from Jesus, just Bertie. I'm competitive. I want to win. And I'm a very bad loser. You know, a guy that is a, I, I want to be first. You know, if I ride a motorcycle, I want to be first. If I, if we play a card game, I must win. Otherwise, I don't enjoy it. You know, I enjoy it to win. If I don't win, it's not good enough. Now, you might say, Sisma, Th that's it, that's how I am. Now, if you come with that mentality into the gospel of Jesus, or into, you get saved, and now you want to build a ministry, you can kill yourself with that. And everyone else. 
seems to be somebody stabbed at you before. Uh, <laughs> and that's exactly what it is. It, it's just a place of death where, where, where that mentality, we try to be a winner in Jesus' name. So now I'm going to be a winner at this Christian thing. Now, when I, after I got saved, that was what I was thinking. And I went to Bible school. I was the best Bible school student. I did everything the best. Because I'm a winner. And we're going to make this thing work. If we do crusades, my crusades will be the biggest. We're going to see the greatest miracles in my crusade. Now, let me tell you something. I didn't have the ability to change that. I couldn't change that. But I can boldly proclaim today that there's nothing of that alive in my life concerning ministry at all. Nothing. If there's people here, hallelujah. Amen. If there's tomorrow, everybody here says, Bertie, thank you for teaching me grace. We found another person in the city that knows grace better. I will help you to go there. Because we want you to know this message. It's about the gospel. Amen. It's not that I don't see any value in any person or don't love people. But the, the thing that it worked in me is it took that performance out. It gave me absolute peace. It brought me to a place where I can really truly say that I find somebody living in me. I don't try to build a ministry. It's a love for people. And I can say it's not me living. I know when I was living. I would abuse somebody. I mean, if you come to the crusade, you came and the more the people there were, the greater self-esteem I had. So you became a number. And I couldn't change that. You could give me 20 lessons on that's not supposed to be like that and humble yourself and start with small ways and then God will lift you up and whatever. Then I will do the small things so that I can get this vision of death to manifest. I'll humble myself for 10 years so that I can get that big thing and be the winner. But thank God, you know, this, this gospel is a power. I want to tell you and I want to encourage you. This is not even on the message that I want to preach tonight, but I want to encourage you. This is just for, I mean, everything is for free. <laughs> I want to encourage you. You know, add to your faith many other things. You can add to your faith peace. You can add to your faith virtue. You can add to your faith freedom. A holy life. Deliverance from things that you were bound for for so long. It's freely given. It's already in you. It's like Francis de Toys said. It's like this, this guy, what is over the dirigent in Engels? This conductor. You know, just pointing what, what he needs. If he needs the violin to play, he just points that stick and calls it forth. In the same, that's the word used in the Greek. In the same way when it says, add to your faith, it says, call forth. Call forth that which Christ has placed in you. And then he says, patience, long-suffering, kindness, all those things, it's in you. That's, we've been saved unto that. That's who we are. Amen. That's why Paul says, don't use, and that scripture has been abused so many times, don't use your liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Now, many people say, you see, don't use his freedom as a license to sin. It's not what that scripture says. What the scripture says is, don't believe the grace of God in such a way that it's still mixed with the law. Because the, the Bible says, the flesh took its occasion by the law. So it says, don't believe the gospel of grace in such a way that the flesh can still have an occasion. How does the flesh have its occasion to sin? By the law system. So we are not going to say, well, I believe this grace message to this point. Well, I'm saved from the law now, so now I'm now going to just live a life. and what? No, no, no. I'm saved from this, and I'm clothed with Christ. That's the power of the gospel, man. Having God living in us. And I want to tell you, you should not be afraid. Uh, um, and, and I said this morning as well in the live broadcast we had. 
if, we were, if you get afraid when we talk about works, good works, it is that fear exposes the law in your heart. That's it. That fear exposes the fact that you still think a law mindset concerning works. Because why are you scared to talk about works? Because works is an outflow of the nature of God. Let me give you a good example. When it comes to finances, we had two testimonies here. When it comes to finances and you are scared, don't go and try and confess the thing away now. Because that's, it's not going to go away like that. The way it's going to go away is because you are scared because you think, oh well, I don't have enough money, how am I going to pay this, whatever. And you start to live by fear because you look at the basic rules of this world and you think you're not going to qualify and that because this world's rules disqualify you to be blessed. You live by that system. Now to go and live under that system and don't change your belief and say, well, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid, you know. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm now under grace. I'm not be afraid. That's not going to help you. What's going to help you is to go and study the character of God. Until your mind gets persuaded of the person of God. When your mind is persuaded of the person of God, you'll find fear has disappeared. That is the works Paul talks about. So we don't have to be afraid when it comes to works. We talk about works and grace. We are happy because that is our justification. That's what we've been saved into. A joyful life. Imagine I, listen. Imagine I could give, have a little packet here. And every one of you, I give you a packet of patience for free. Will you take it? Of course. I mean, you're going to use it just outside the door. Amen. It's for free. You're not going to say, well, I don't want to hear anything of patience. I don't want to have that for free. You know, no, 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 because that is works. No, no, you're going to say, I'm taking it for free. Hallelujah. I believe in Jesus. He died for me. And I never knew that there's this packet of patience also for free. So, well, I'm having that for free as well. That is the works the Bible talks about. It's effortless Christ living in us. Amen. So I want to tell you that you are part of a powerful gospel. Saving us, having the very nature of God. And, and <laughs> if you, you need to get used to these good things happening to you. God has graciously and being full of mercy, even before the return of Jesus, given us the very attributes of God living in us now. We will have our glorified body when Jesus returns, but He was so gracious that giving us perfection in the Spirit right now, that we can have the attitude of God living in us today. It's heaven on earth, man. Amen. And we will have a glorified body as well. But God said, well, we, let me give them the Spirit part now, in their spirits. And by that they can live who I am in this world, although they have, earthen, although their bodies are just earthen vessels. But I put this treasure in them. And I shine forth out of this earthen vessel. Hallelujah. I'm not saying go, go and try and do good things. Then you're back under the law. Paul never, you know, when Paul stopped, when Paul came under the law, after he got saved, he found sin in his life. <clears throat> then he came to a revelation. He said, listen, Paul was at a place in his life where he said, I said, alles is my oorloof. What's he? What, what's the English for that? Alles is my oorloof, maar alles is nie stichtend nie. No, no, excuse me. Yeah, it's something like that. Yes. Paul came to that place in Corinthians where he said, um, I can allow anything is lawful to me. Anything. Anything. And he was talking about adultery. He says, but everything doesn't edify me. And he, he came to a place where he was so free from the law system that he says it had nothing to do with me. 
and he was not afraid to leave that system completely. When he left that system completely, he came to another revelation. And he says, you know what? I found that when I didn't believe that anymore, but I believed grace, that the effect of that was love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, long-suffering, patience, faithfulness, whatever. And then he wrote that down. Now we come and we say, listen, if you believe in Jesus, you better do these things. No, 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 no. That's not how Paul got to that revelation. The way Paul got to that revelation was by simply believing in Jesus. When he believed in Jesus, he believed in as he is, so am I. And he was fully persuaded of that. He was not only persuaded that the law was taken away. He was persuaded that God lives in him. And he found, when the law was away, I I don't judge people anymore, and I'm much more kind than normal. I find that I love people, because the thing that disqualified them to receive love has been taken out of the way. I find that I'm much more patient with people. I find that it's much easier for me to be faithful to this message than what it was to the law. And he wrote it down. So we can't go and make a law out of that now. But we can expect that to manifest in our lives. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's get into what I want to preach. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. It says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. But now has he obtained a more excellent ministry. So here he comes, talks about the new covenant. It says it's a more excellent ministry. It's better than the other one. By how much also he is a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Now listen to verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for a second. But finding fault... With them. That then doesn't talk about people, it talks about the first covenant. He said, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. So what does God do here? He comes and He finds fault with the first covenant. Not people, the covenant. And He says, This covenant is a faulty covenant. For this covenant cannot bless people. And he's got a vision to bless people. It's like building a a, a trailer that you pull behind your car, you've got a certain purpose with it. And after you built it, you see, but this thing cannot serve the purpose. We need to build a better one. Now, Adam built the first one. And it couldn't work. And God came and he built the second one, which was a better one. So there was a first covenant and God looked at this covenant and he said that this covenant is based on the ability of man. And because it's based on the ability of man, it can never allow God to bless man and see God himself manifesting in man. And he says there's something big wrong with this covenant. So, when God was looking at man, he was not looking at the mistakes of man. He saw man as a sinner. He saw man is sinning. And he says, well, if man becomes a sinner, because of this covenant, there's something wrong with this covenant. Isn't that wonderful? To know that God wasn't looking when when something came and made you a sinner. He said there's something wrong with the covenant. Because this thing makes my people sin. And puts them in a category that I don't want them. Where I have not placed them. I, my purpose with man, is to create a being, and this is my opinion, the the, the reason why God made man, when He made Adam and Eve, I believe the purpose of that was not to work for God, was not to try and accomplish or govern over a certain thing, The purpose was so that somebody could experience what it is to be like God. That's it. 
And he said, the law can never get that right. There's something wrong with this covenant. This doesn't make man like God. This doesn't make man righteous. It doesn't bless man. It doesn't bring forth who I am in them. So there's something very big wrong with this. It makes everybody guilty before me. That's not my vision. It's not my plan. So we need to bring another covenant where man cannot be found guilty under. <laughs> now, isn't that awesome? Where man can be declared as blessed, as righteous. Because under the old covenant, if you, um, if you had sickness in your body, for instance, you were reckoned as cursed. If you had poverty, you were reckoned as cursed. So, the old one could not bless man. So here comes a new one where the things where you were under the old scene as cursed doesn't count anymore. So now somebody that doesn't have, that's why the Bible says, let the poor man say, I am rich. Let the weak man say, because the poor man said, I'm cursed. The weak man said, I'm cursed. Because the law declared that if you are poor and weak, you're not the blessed of God. But the new covenant declares something different over people so that we can go into squatter camps, we can go into Africa and Tanzania, we can preach here, we can tell people, you, you can now say, because of the new covenant, that I don't care what the consequences or what the situ- my situation says, I can be called rich, rich and blessed. Let those that are barren rejoice, for they will bear more fruit. They have more fruit than those that weren't barren. Under the law you were barren concerning fruit bearing, but the fruit of Christ has been assigned unto you. So I can say before... The first words that a Christian can utter, the first words a believer can say is, I'm full of fruit, without bearing any fruit. That's the first thing he can say. I'm full of fruit, because the fruit of Christ has been assigned to me. Hallelujah. For there's a better covenant, with better promises. Amen. So he found Fault with the first covenant. So when God was looking at, I mean, if, if, if you take your television in for repairs, that guy goes and says, okay, the thing doesn't want to switch on. Then he's got a certain procedure that he goes through. Let's first see if the, I laugh so much, you know, on, on the, the if, if your computer is, is broken, you can phone in this. So say you've got, I think it's with Dell. You can phone in an international helpline and then the first thing they say is, is it plugged in? <laughs> really, that's the first thing. Is it plugged in? Okay, yes it's plugged in. Okay, is it switched on? Yes it's switched on. Okay, is there any other lights burning in the house? Because maybe the electricity is off. Yes there is. Okay, have you switched the computer on? And they go through the whole thing until they find the fault. So, if it's not that, then they say, send it to us. And then there, they've got a certain procedure they go through to find the mistake. In the same way, God was looking at man and seeing man is not functioning correctly. So, let me go and look for the fault. And he found the fault with the covenant. Not the man. The covenant. Hallelujah. So, how can we fend for the old covenant? How can we fight for that which breaks us, which God clearly states is not part of the new? Is not a better covenant. It's the old thing that's not good for you. It can never produce what God wants for you in your life. It can never produce joy. It can never produce a place of satisfaction. Ask the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and says, what shall I do to inherit the kingdom of God? He says, keep the law. He says, I've kept it from my youth. What do I still lack? 
Meaning, even if you've kept everything you think you need to keep, you'll still feel there's something wrong. And if you read Luke chapter 17, it talks about the law. It says there, if a servant comes and he, he serves in the field, and he, and, and he comes in, do you think the master is now, after he served in the field, going to say, oh, you are such a wonderful servant, sit down, let me feed you. He says, no, 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 he's going to come and he's still going to feed the master. And then after he's done everything, he will eat. And then the Bible says, you must call yourself a worthless servant. For you've only done what was asked you. So if you've obeyed the whole law, the end of obeying everything is call yourself worthless. (laughs) There's something wrong with a covenant. It is not the super abounding, more like God, righteous, absolute peace covenant. So he says, um, verse, verse, verse nine, verse eight. But uh, for finding fault with that other covenant, he said, "Behold, the days come," says the Lord, "when I will make a new covenant." with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they can't... Listen to this. This is the fault he found with the covenant. Because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, says the Lord. So what is the purpose of God? It's to regard you. It's to bless you. It's to honor you. And he says the other one doesn't allow it for they cannot keep that. So let me bring one that is easy for them to keep. And the way that is kept was by the obedience of Christ on our behalf. So the covenant is kept between the Father and Jesus. And we are engrafted into that covenant, meaning you cannot break it. Because it's between the man, Jesus, and the Father. And you are engrafted. Not possible for you to break that covenant. You know, I've got a... uh, um, Say, I've got a covenant with a bank. I bought the house. Now I'm paying off the house. Do you know that my son cannot break the covenant I've got with a bank? But he can live in the house. He can even inherit that house. But he cannot break that covenant. If he does not do what I tell him, but I continue to pay the bank, (laughs) he's still living in the house. That's how it works. For the covenant is between the Father and Jesus and we are engrafted into that covenant, making us co-heirs with Christ, but the foundation of that covenant is not based on our ability to keep that covenant. Amen, man. He paid the house. He says, well, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. <clears throat> I will put my law into their heart and write them in their, uh, uh, in their mind, write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. So it's, what it means here is when God says He will write His law in our hearts. Now listen to this. I spoke on this last, uh, two, two weeks ago. But I want to just mention something here. He says, And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. God says, I will write my law on their hearts. Now, that is not the first one that he found fault with. (laughs) Many times we think, no, he's going to write the first one that he found fault with on our hearts. No, no, he's not going to write the first one that he found fault with on our hearts. That law, according to Romans 12 verse 2, was already written on the hearts of the Gentiles, and they were found guilty and sinners before God just as guilty as the Jews that didn't keep the Ten Commandments. So here it says the law was written on the hearts of the Gentiles, made them guilty. So God says, I will write my law. It's not a re-implementation of the Ten Commandments. 
He says, my law. And, and last week, for those of you who may have forgotten, we, we used Psalm 40. He says, the, Jesus said, the law, my Father, your law is upon my heart. Your law is on my heart. And I didn't keep your righteousness in my heart. But I declared your righteousness. What's the law of God? It was written on the heart of Jesus. Jesus said, what was written in my heart, I declared. I declared your righteousness, your faithfulness, your salvation, and your loving kindness. That's the law of God. The principles of God by which He governs the world. He governs it by His mercy. That's the principles by which, by which God lives. Mercy. Grace. His faithfulness towards you. That's the law of God. It's not the law of man. It's not the law of, of man's efforts. It's not that. The law by which, the principle by which God lives, the law by which He lives, is this law. I am merciful. I am gracious. I am faithful towards sinners. I am a Savior. That's the law by which He lives. And He will put that law in your heart and write it in your mind. That's what He says. He says, and then only will I be to them a God and they will be to me a people. So I want to tell you, you've got no, we cannot define God outside mercy. You cannot define God outside His loving kindness towards you. And before you understand this gospel, God's never been God to you. You know, even with me, after listening to the grace message for, and preaching it for 14, 15 years, when you hear the word Jesus, and you're now a grace believer, you still feel in your heart, oh, hallelujah. But when you hear God, it's like almost this, you need to be, be, be careful, you It's God. God cannot be defined. God defined Himself in the body of Jesus. He showed the world who God is. It was the God that people are afraid of in the Old Testament that manifested the God of the Old Testament in flesh which is Jesus. Amen. I want you to, if you read the Old Testament and you see it as condemnation, you're not reading the true gospel. <laughs> I tell you. Paul wrote, this afternoon I was, I was talking to someone, Paul wrote the book of Romans out of the book of Isaiah. He was quoting from Isaiah most of the time. Explaining Isaiah in the book of Romans. Preaching the Old Testament and then that was written down and we call it the new. No, no, he was declaring the new from the old. So we need to see what is done for us in every area of life. And he said the old thing that man lived by was a wrong understanding of God, a wrong understanding of man. We need to understand ourselves. You have got, the Bible says, God is mindful of us. That we are only dust. Therefore, He does everything. So, be mindful of yourself. That in your own ability, you are just dust. You need to understand who you are in your own ability compared to God. You're a nothing. And all that you will ever be is what He puts in you. For free. That's all you'll ever be. So, the more you yield your members as instruments unto His righteousness, what He's done for you, the more you'll see Christ manifesting in your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's it. That is the new thing that He writes upon our hearts. The new covenant. He found fault with the old. Not with you. The moment he found fault with you, he said there's something wrong with a system that's supposed to make this person holy. So let me change the system. Hallelujah, man. So when God finds fault with you, he's not angry with you. 
Let me put it this way. He's a grown-up man. He's a groot mens. He's not childish. He doesn't, okay, now man has committed the sin, now he throws a tantrum. Now he looks at it cognitively, looking at trying to understand, understanding what the root is and fixing the problem. If the TV breaks, you don't kick it. You fix it. If a, does it work for you if you kick it? Okay. <laughs> Maybe I must kick mine. <laughs> if somebody is in the hospital and is ill, you don't go and beat him. You hit him because he's ill. No, no. He's there to be healed. We want to see what's wrong. You find maybe the way he was, what he was eating the, the, he, in his life, there's something wrong. There's a system that causes this in his life. You're not angry with him because he's sick. God's not angry with us because we've sinned. He was looking at what brought this forth. And he removed it. Amen. Hallelujah. Listen, I, I want to say something, and I know it's very radical, but, I, but you need to understand this. Paul said something, and, and the church world, even in the grace circles, it's difficult for people to understand this. Paul said, it was not I who sinned, but sin in me. Separating himself from sin. It was not I who sinned. But I found that there's a flesh in me that used the law to sin. You need to, before you can ever forgive yourself. Then if I preach that message here on forgiveness, what forgiveness really is. Forgiveness is to be separated from something. So when God forgave us, He separated us from that which made us guilty. It was not God's not angry with me. No, 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 no. He's not angry with us. Thank you, Jesus. But only saying God's not angry with me is a very shallow way of forgiveness. The word forgive literally means to have no more intercourse with. Go and study it. To have no more intimacy with something. So when God forgave us, He ceased all intimacy that man had with that which makes him guilty before God. And now it says in Romans 7, we become intimate with Christ. And we are married to Jesus. So that we can bear much fruit. How do we bear fruit? It's His seed bearing fruit in us. Then Paul comes further on and he says, like I said just before we started this, I've come to this conclusion. It was not I who sinned. And it's not I who live now. There's somebody else living in me. So there's something very practical and very easy to understand about the gospel. It is, there's certain laws, if you want to put it like that. There's a law that says, if you're under the law, you're going to die. And there's a law that says, if you believe in Jesus, you're going to live. It's called the law of life in Christ Jesus. Amen. So I want to encourage you in this time to come, Christmas time. You know, many people say, oh, you know, Christmas time has been so commercialized and we shouldn't. I also said that. I thank God for Christmas. The way it is today. You can go to a Muslim guy somewhere in Pakistan or wherever and you can ask him, what's Christmas about? He says, no, it's... I tell you now, there will be many of those people saying... It is a Christian feast where they celebrate the birth of Jesus. It's the spreading of the gospel. Man. <laughs> Making known the name of Jesus to people all over the world. And we are angry because of a, of, a, of a pine tree that people decorate, quoting a scripture out of context. <laughs> oh. Listen, if you like a pine tree, listen man, I like the pine tree because what, where will I put the gifts? I mean, the gifts come under the pine tree. 
And we don't have a pine tree in our garden, so then I get one of these plastic ones. I don't worship the tree. There's a scripture in Ezekiel that says, listen, they dressed up the tree and all those type of things. It talks about carving uh, false gods and, all, and worshipping it. It's a festive time. So if, if, you, if you believe you shouldn't do that, don't do it. You know, don't condemn the guy that does it. And don't, if you don't do it, don't condemn the guy that feels, oh my goodness. This is a time where the name of Jesus, I tell you, there was time when Christmas time was this empty time to me. But when I start to see a bit deeper, and I start to understand, you know, everywhere, when, when it's Christmas, you, man, you find rock singers singing Christmas carols. I tell you now, type in YouTube, type in YouTube Christmas carols. You'll find them singing it on YouTube. Celine Dion that, that will not go and say, I'm a Christian, they will sing Christmas carols. And all their millions of followers will see them singing the name of Jesus. If they believe it or not, I don't care. The name of Jesus is becoming a household name. People know the name so that we can come and after that spread the power of that name and the beauty of that name. So when Christmas time's here, you know, many people say, no, but Jesus was born in May or August. When, whenever, you know. I thank God it's at the end of the year. So I want to encourage you, you know, in this time to come. Think of the new covenant. Let this Christmas time, this festive season, be a time when your mind just all... The Bible says when Jesus was born... Peace on earth and goodwill towards all of man. No consciousness of sin. The emotion that you're not indebted at all. That's the word peace. To all of man. Because I've removed your guilt. Not by you confessing your sin, but by taking away that which makes you guilty. For I found fault with that covenant. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, Peter says, and I, I want to say it to you this way. When we believe this gospel of grace, <clears throat> there's an expectation in our hearts. You know, when, when we sow seed, my, my one son, both of them, he planted potatoes there, there where there's supposed to be flowers in the garden. And it's not a beautiful plant, potato plant. And, um, but you know, he was watering it every day putting compost there and everything, you know, having great expectation. And then this morning, he came in with a bucket full of potatoes. You know, and I mean the younger one, it wasn't even his potatoes, he came running first. You know? <laughs> and they were so happy. And, and I, was, I, I, I was proud of them, you know, for what they did. In the same way, when the Word of God is sown in our hearts, we're expecting a harvest. We're expecting fruit. Not us faking the fruit, but that word bearing fruit in us. Where we can see the effect of the gospel of Jesus in our lives. Amen. So I want to say to you, it's very, very important for us to understand and to know that to, to keep us, our minds, in this. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, and the scripture was quoted out of context so many times, it says, don't neglect the gathering of the brethren. You know, if you don't come to church, and God can never bless you if you don't submit to my rules. Yeah. Listen man, that's not the gospel. That's manipulation and the devil's message. Yeah. That, that's what it is. It's control and manipulation because if my church is not big enough, it means I'm a nothing. And I can't face it not to be a nothing. So I'm going to make this thing work by and not understanding that. And God's going to reward you for your faithfulness to my vision and then you're going to be blessed. No, no. That's not what that scripture says. Paul comes and it talks about, it talks to people that are persecuted for righteousness sake. And he says to the Jewish people, the Hebrews, because in Hebrews, he says to them, listen, don't neglect the gathering of the brethren because that's where you are stirred up 
concerning this message of grace. Because when you're out there, people are killed, others are murdered, they, 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 they burn your houses, they, your goods are spoilt because of what you believe. And that's why it's so important to be in a place where people continue to believe this message like a, like a, a, a scenario like this, where you continue to hear this over and over in every scripture, in, from every side and perspective, so that you can continue to believe this so that all patience can be in you until the return of Jesus Christ. That's the purpose. If grace is not preached, you cannot use that verse which says, don't neglect the gathering of the brethren. If grace is not preached, neglect it. Neglect it. Run. Amen? Neglect it. Now, let me, and and I spoke to one of my friends as well. You know, when we were under the law, there was a purpose for, or let me put it this way, it worked something in us. It worked in us that we can't do it by our own works. That's what it worked in us. It made you tired. So you could call upon the name of Jesus. Oh Lord, save me. You know, so there was something good that also came out of that. And that was the purpose of the law. The law had its purpose in that place. But now once we've come to the knowledge of grace, I want to tell you, if you start a cell group at your house where you share this grace and you go to that, if you come to these meetings, don't neglect it. Because the continual edification of this message keeps your mind renewed and in the things of God. You meet and fellowship with people that are like-minded, fellowshipping around this message. And that is powerful. And God, let me put it this way. You know what the Muslims do? The, 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 the self-bombers? They go, you can see it in the movies. They go together and then they will talk about this thing. On how America is bad. And then they will indoctrinate each other in that fellowship. Because there's such a power in that unity that there is, in thinking the same way, that people don't hesitate to kill themselves. Now that power is also there when it comes to this gospel. Where we indoctrinate each other with this gospel. And it's not wrong. It's right. We should do that. Not for the glory of a preacher to say, I've got so many people in my church. But for the glory of Jesus Christ inside you and you sticking and staying with this message of God's unconditional love. Amen. So I want to tell you, uh, uh, whenever you can fellowship with anybody concerning this message, make an effort to do that. Keep, let's keep ourselves. The Bible says, keep yourself in the love of God. Amen. We keep ourselves in this message. And the, the, we've been robbed because of fear, because it's been abused. You know, come to church, come to church. It's been abused so much that we are scared of it. It's like I've said so many times, like a woman that's been raped. And now you want to come six weeks afterwards and talk about the beauty of intimacy in marriage. She doesn't want to listen because her mind about it is warped because of something very bad that happened. And the bad thing is that she's actually losing out. Her hurt is causing her not to have what God intended for her and for her husband. In the same way with church. And I want to to tell you guys, let's get to the grace of God in every area of life, even where you got hurt. If you got hurt in the area of finances, if you got hurt in the area of church, if you got hurt in everything, let's not stick to that old covenant which produced all those bad things in us and having actually that old covenant continuing to bear its fruit in us. It's like if somebody got raped, the, the bad thing is the physical deed was very bad. But the longer the person meditates and tops on that thing, the worse it is. That person is continuing to redo that evil deed in their minds every day. And they actually write daily. So the more we stick with, I got hurt 
through this teaching and I got hurt through that teaching and I got hurt and not accepting the truth that God says about knowing that it bears fruit in me, the more the law is still bearing, its, has, has got its effect in your life. Amen. We're not in rebellion against the law. We are for the gospel of grace. Thank you, Jesus. Having the power of Jesus in our lives. Amen. I want to end off with a scripture in Peter. Second Peter chapter 1. You know, it's like, uh, um, I, I looked at my own life, and I mean, we, we, let it take as long as what it takes for a person to find the healing in his heart. I'm not going to say, you know, th- this bad thing has happened now six months ago, so now you better get over it now. No, no. Just now as long as what it takes. You know, but let me tell you something. It can also happen quickly. You don't have to walk with the hurt of a church and what has happened in the past for six years. I've seen it on some of the forums, you know, on the internet. The moment you say a, a certain thing about works or anything like that, it's like there's a reaction. I mean, but this person is in grace for seven years. It's like, but we've been hurt there. Yes, we've been hurt there. And I understand that we've been hurt there. But we're not talking, we're not then. We're not manipulating, we're not controlling. We are talking the effect of the gospel. Hallelujah. Amen. In the year to come, I I want to encourage you, at your house, if you feel like it, man, start a thing where five people come together and you talk about grace. Do it. You know, we're not forcing anybody. Just do it. Get people together, fellowship, fellowship about grace, put in a CD or a DVD, listen to it, be encouraged, encourage each other in this message. It will be so beneficial for you. Amen. Where, and the old one it is, well, we're starting a cell group. And the cell group must now multiply. You know, and we give you, we've got a, a certain vision, you know, we, we want a hundred cell groups before the end of the year. So yours must now multiply with, if you, we want a hundred, yours must multiply in three months. And when the multiplication comes, you know, the leader comes and says, well, I divide it down here. You go there, and you... Come on. That is not life. But because we've been hurt like that, it doesn't mean that coming together at a home, speaking about the grace of God has lost its power. (laughs) It's the manipulation that comes with it that made it powerless. And now, when we think of gathering, or we think of anything that, that where we got hurt, we are scared. The law is still bearing its fruit. Let's be free, man. Let's be free. We're not scared for Christ to live in us. Amen. Now, let's, um, let's go to Second Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> Verse 2. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. So, Peter didn't come and say, well, listen, we've got enough now about grace and peace and we need to talk about something else. No, when he spoke about it, then he came to the revelation that says, this needs to be multiplied now. More of this. More grace. More peace. Now, when he talks about the multiplication here, he doesn't talk about a hidden revelation that's only given to certain men of God that's got a certain anointing because they fasted for 40 days. It, it, and, and I want to say it again, maybe you hear for the first time, that there's nothing hidden anymore. The Bible says that which was hidden for ages and generations has been now revealed. It is Christ in you and from there we expect glory, the, the, the immortality in our bodies at the return of Jesus Christ. That's it. 
It says, which was hidden. The Bible says, no one knows the heart of a man except a man himself. So, no one knows the heart of God except the Spirit of God. And now we've received the Spirit of God revealing to us and has given to us all things that Christ has freely given us. Amen. So, we know the heart of God. We know God. We know it. It's there. It's not hidden anymore. So you don't have to think, well, this is a special thing. And when it talks about multiplication of grace, and, and, and you know, I've also seen it this way, is many times we think of times of refreshing, or a new anointing, or a new dose of the Holy Ghost. L- listen, there's no new dose of the Holy Ghost. It is just you re-experiencing or experiencing what is in you. It's like Reinhard Bonker says. He says he doesn't need a new fire because he still got the fire God gave him the first time. He didn't throw it away. There is only one Holy Spirit. There isn't an anointing for the 1920s, an anointing for the 1950s, an anointing for 2010. There's one anointing. Amen. Then what happens with people is you look into the law of liberty and freedom of God and the new law and then you go away, look into the old law again, and then you feel, I don't experience what I've experienced when I look at no condemnation. Now I feel condemned again. Now I say, oh, I need to have another meeting where I feel a dose or a touch. And we have this meeting, and many people will gather there, because many people struggle with that problem. And then they will experience something, because they will look at the freedom of Jesus, and asking Jesus, they experience something. And they really experience God. I don't say it's not God. If you ask God, touch me, He'll touch you. If you say, Lord, reveal something to me, reveal to me your grace, and you've just been back under the law, now you want to come back under grace, you will see grace again, you will, fo- you will feel, hoo-ha! But you can't live like that. No. Walk in a continual revelation of that message. So you can live that life of victory. Amen. And when we come together, we encourage each other in that new law all the time. Called the grace of God. So here he comes and says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Or let me put it this way. Um, if you want to read the context and what it tries to say through verse 2, he says, Let grace and peace become stronger manifested in your life. Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That word knowledge is is the Greek word acknowledgement. So it says, let grace, grace is influence. Let the influence of God become stronger in your life. What is peace? Peace is the emotion of having no debt. Let the emotion of not being indebted to God become stronger in your life through the acknowledgement of God. And Jesus. So as you acknowledge Jesus and what He's done, not your works, the work of Christ, the work of God, as you acknowledge that, you will find a stronger influence in your life as you continue to acknowledge that. And if you go and read Peter on, he, he says there, we've acknowledged that He died for us, but we can also now acknowledge and add to our faith patience, virtue, life, and all those type of things. We can also acknowledge that. Christ has also done that for me. He's also given that to me. And we see God living in our lives. And we will, you know, let me tell you something. As you see Christ manifesting in you, the battle, a, a person, let me tell you this, a person who's addicted to drugs, who's addicted to pornography, who lives with hatred, that's a believer in Jesus, has got a much harder time to have peace than a person that sees the fruit of the Spirit manifesting in his life. The one that's got all the things that we call bad things in his life is not anything less righteous than the other one. He's not any, a little bit less saved than the other one. Or both of them are saved. Both of them are righteous. But the one has got an easier life than the other one. Because the, the, the one must, whenever he reads a scripture in the Bible talking about uh, 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 something that says um, the fruit of the Spirit is this or, or talks about love your neighbor or whatever, guilt comes into his heart. 
And now he needs to quote four other scriptures to feel a bit better. But when we say, Lord, we acknowledge what you've done with its effect in my life, I find the manifestation of it not by me, but by the Spirit. The flesh flesh had its opportunity by me acknowledging the law. The Holy Spirit has got His opportunity to live Christ in me by me acknowledging Christ. So now we find the Spirit living this holy life in our bodies. And that's easy then. Because you don't have those accusations coming all the time. You don't have the shadow living in the land of the shadow of death. Now if I should go through the land of the shadow of death, I will not fear. But I'm not going to make a camp there. Live in the land of the shadow of death. Because I've got the rod and the staff of Jesus. I've got the goodness. I'll just confess it all the time. Hallelujah. Condemnation will kill you, my friend. You are brand new. You're loved of God. He never found fault with you. He found fault with the system. And see that system, my friend. I encourage you, see the new system under which He cannot find fault with you, which is a perfect covenant forevermore, under which the purpose of God is accomplished in your life. Amen. You are the righteousness of God. Through acknowledgement of that, you'll find the justification manifesting in your life. It's only just for me to have peace. It's only just for you to have peace in this world. It's only just for you to have a knowledge of the fullness of God in your life. It's just right. It's the way it's supposed to be. For it has been paid for. The Spirit has been poured out. It is yours. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.